Welcome to Crescent City Crime, dear listeners. I'm Tracy. And I'm Brian. And welcome to everybody. Welcome back. If you have listened to us before, thank you for being here. Make sure to tell a friend about us. Yes. Tell your friends and make sure to tell your enemies as well. Keep your keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And also remember that the enemy of your enemy is your friend. That's right. And, of course, thank you to Lucy, who has been running our TikTok. Yes, thank you, Lucy. We really appreciate that. You're a good friend. Yes, you are. So, Brian, you know, I feel like when I was in school, Jim Crow laws were glossed over. I don't feel like that I was ever taught the full extent of what those laws meant until I was an adult. Neither was I, even though I went to a magnet school. But we both went to school in Louisiana. So perhaps Southern history books uh, will not fully illustrate how horrible they were. <clears throat> no, no. And one of, the, one of the things that I only learned over the last few years was that the first gun control laws passed in this country were passed in the South and were Jim Crow laws because these gun control laws were intended to deprive black people the right to have a firearm because these laws, of course, were only enforced against black people. And that's not all they did. Uh, have you ever heard of sundown towns? No. So these were towns where literally there would be a sign outside the front of the town that says, N-word, don't let the sun set on your head, meaning that after dark, if you were caught in the town and you were black, uh, all bets were off. Of course, that's on the that's on the premise of criminalizing black people. Of yes. Course, the assumption that if you're black and you're out after dark, you're absolutely up to no good. And if you're white, then that means you're a knight, I suppose. Or, or what? If, um, if you're white, it's all right. Yeah, there we go. You white, y'all right. Yeah. 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 I learned that saying in New Orleans when I was a teenager. I heard it. I heard it. I heard it said one time. All right. So Jim Crow laws were a, were a collection of state and local statues. This is how it started out. Uh, it was the post-Civil War era until 1968. So they existed for about 100 years from 1968, I'm sorry, from 1868 to 1968. So about 100 years span these laws had, okay? And they, of course, were intended to marginalize African Americans by denying them the right to vote, hold jobs, get an education, or other opportunities. And those who attempted to defy the laws often faced arrest, fines, jail sentences, violence, and death. Yeah, yeah, death by by lynching. Now, of course, yeah. Yes, and in 1865, immediately following the ratification of the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery in the United States, the Jim Crow laws were enacted. So it was almost immediately. Well, of of course, uh, the the various tyrants that we've had in existence in this country have consistently passed laws to get around um, such rulings, to get around such rulings and amendments, of course, uh, because, you know, heaven help us if we 
if we afford black citizens the same rights as white citizens. It's what, what a horrible thing. What a horrible thing to do. So we have to pass laws to control these black people, of course, since they're no longer owned. Exactly. The Jim Crow laws appeared throughout the South as a legal way to put black citizens into indentured servitude, take voting rights away, even control where they lived and how they traveled. And of course, it also allowed them to seize black children for labor purposes. So, you know, like the stories that you would hear when black people were enslaved and they would separate families, they would take children away from the parents. It's the same thing. Same thing. Yeah. Except under a different code. Yes. And of course, this, this stacked the legal system, system against black citizens. Former Confederate so soldiers worked as police and judges, which made it difficult for African-Americans to win court cases and ensured that those cases were subject to black codes. During the Reconstruction era, local governments, President Andrew Johnson and hate groups thwarted efforts to help black Americans move forward. Violence was on the rise. Uh, danger was a regular aspect of African-American life. Black schools were vandalized and destroyed and bands of violent white people attacked, tortured and lynched black citizens in the night. Families were attacked and forced off their, their land all across the South. And this is something that this imagery in particular is, I feel like my main education about this was through movies. Not from a history book. I just want to emphasize that. Most of the imagery that I associate with what I just read comes from movies. A good a good bit of that too, but there's there's plenty there's plenty that you could read about on the internet. Well these days, right. yes. But remember, I mean I went to school in the nineteen nineties. Internet was just brand new back then. That's true, yeah, and, and I, it wasn't out there when I was in high school either. It's like, for example, I was never taught that uh, Ulysses S. Grant, before he was president of the United States, was the first president of the National Rifle Association, which, j just briefly touch upon this here, it was formed to educate civilians in rifle marksmanship because of the poor rifle accuracy of, of uh, conscripts and volunteers in the Union Army during the Civil War, as the majority of the so Civil War soldiers who were on the Union side were not hunters. Many of them were ex-factory workers or ex-farmers. Um, so... But getting to getting to the relationship of the National Rifle Association to Jim Crow, while Ulysses S. Grant was president of the United States, he contacted the uh, the president of the National Rifle Association uh, at that at around the it was the eighteen it was sometime during the eighteen seventies. Okay, and requested that he get together a militia to go down to Louisiana to fight the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Um, so, and that, that was a militia call up. That was not regular army or any, or any, or any military. So for a period of time, the KKK was defeated in Louisiana. Unfortunately, they made a comeback 
Yes, unfortunately. Uh, years, years later, especially during early 1900s. Well, I'm glad that you said that because I didn't know that. And I'm pretty sure at least one person listening to this has learned something new. Now, at the start of the 1880s, big cities in the South were not really beholden to Jim Crow laws. So that's why a lot of black Americans moved to Southern cities because they had a little more freedom. Now, this led to substantial black populations moving to the cities. And as the decade progressed, white city dwellers demanded more laws to limit opportunities for African-Americans. So eventually those laws did affect big cities. Jim Crow laws spread around the country with even more force than, than, than there was previously. Public parks were forbidden for African-Americans to enter and theaters and restaurants were segregated. Segregating waiting rooms and bus and train stations were required, as well as water fountains, restrooms, building entrances, elevators, cemeteries, and even amusement, amusement park cashier windows. So you couldn't even stand in line. Black and white people couldn't even stand in line, you know, next to each other or, or anything like that. Yeah, and you mentioned amusement parks. During the 50s and the 60s, there was a black amusement park around uh, the beginning of New Orleans East along Lake Pontchartrain called Lincoln Beach. Right. Which financially, I believe eventually financially failed. Fortunately, by that time, black people were allowed to go to Pontchartrain Beach. Which is also no longer in existence. Yes, dearly, dearly missed. As the, when we were kids and we got to go to Pontchartrain Beach, uh, you know, things that are, were already different. Right. You know, of course, desegregation had already taken place. <clears throat> well, the, well, the segregation laws also forced African-Americans, I'm sorry, they forbade African-Americans from living in white neighborhoods. And one of the streets in New Orleans is literally the dividing line between black and white neighborhoods back in the day when these laws were on the books. Segregation was enforced for public pools, phone booths, hospitals, asylums, jails, and residential homes for the elderly and the handicapped. And I do know that, for example, if a, if, if a black person brought a white person to a hospital, the white person could go into the hospital and the black person had to wait outside. They couldn't even go into the hospital room with the person that they bought to the hospital. Couldn't even go into the lobby to help check them in or nothing like that. Yeah, it was, it was very disgraceful. And the period of time where African-Americans were treated as second-class citizens lasted longer than slavery did. You're right. And is chiefly responsible for most of the most of the harm caused to the African American community in this country. And some states even required separate textbooks for black and white students. So in other words, a textbook could not be, I guess if it was quote, sullied by black people hands, it couldn't go to a white person. 
after that. And of course, that makes absolutely not even any sense even in those times. Because if you want another culture to assimilate with American Western culture, then the tech, the school textbooks are going to have to be the same because exactly. you're far as, you know, assimilating any group of immigrants, regardless of how they came to this country or any future generations of those immigrants. Uh, the ch- educating the children is what's key to right. assimilating, you know, them to America. So if you have double standards like that, then what you're doing is you're just simply encouraging, uh, encouraging these people not to assimilate. Exactly. Which I just want to point out probably made uh, desegregation even more. Well, I don't want to say it was worse. It was more um, turbulent than it could have been. I mean, it, it could have been a lot calmer. But it wasn't. And this is a reason why. So it was not uncommon to see signs posted at town and city limits warning African Americans that they were not welcome in those towns at all. Now, in all of this, there were Jim Crow jury laws. And that's so typically a jury is 12 people. And there must be a unanimous verdict. However, under these jury laws, you only needed 10 votes to convict. So this, this made or allowed lawmakers to silence juries or silence black jurors. Uh, and it also made it easier to send black people to prison. Now, statewide in Louisiana... of people are still in prison with Jim Crow jury convictions and that are black people in Orleans parish alone. That number is 93%. More often than not, the person convicted was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. And there are between 300 and 400 convictions from Orleans parish where a person is still in prison with one of these convictions. And Brian you remember which year that particular Jim Crow Jim Crow law was repealed, don't you? Was it 2018? Closed 2020. So only two years ago, <coughs> or let, about two and a half years now, that that law has been changed. Ramos v. Louisiana was heard by the United States Supreme Court, and from that case, SCOTUS ruled that non-unanimous jury verdicts are unconstitutional. However, in another case called Edwards v. Vinoy, SCOTUS ruled that those who were convicted under the original Jim Crow laws cannot receive new trials, except certain cases can have new trials on based on direct appeal. Uh, what is direct appeal? Do you know? Let's see, immediately following a conviction, uh, like for 
the death penalty, any death penalty conviction is automatically appealed. Okay. It's as as a supposedly to make sure that an innocent person's not being condemned, even though it, it even though of course it does happen. Now, if new trials are ordered, the district attorney's office will have to look at these cases and decide whether or not they should go back into prosecution. And, of course, the district attorney has discretion to decide whether to bring a case back to trial, enter a plea agreement, or dismiss it. So the possibly or likely the majority of the convictions will remain. Uh, later on this year, a high-profile case will be retried under those specific circumstances. And, you know, as for the rest, we're going to have to wait and see. And one last point that I want to bring up, Brian, is that the Jim Crow laws inspired the Nazis. Oh, yeah. it's That's something else I wasn't taught, and you weren't taught this either in history class, is how much of American history inspired Hitler and his fellow Nazis. Like, for example, the, the, way, the way our country treated the Native Americans mm-hmm. was very inspirational to Adolf Hitler himself. Right. Like, Hitler's train, Hitler's armored train, fortified train that was used uh, whenever he train transportation was practical form. Originally, before America entered the war, Hitler's train was called America. He named it after our country. So either I I knew about the train, but either I forgot that he named it America or I did not know that until this moment. Of course, he renamed it after the United States entered entered the war. What did he rename it? I'm just curious. Oh, I don't recall. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. So, and and also what also inspired the Nazis was the Manifest Destiny, which which I was taught about that. Well, yeah, I remember in, that in history too. class where we were we were dominate we were using the army and the United States Marine Corps to dominate the Caribbean and South Central America. Mm-hmm. Um, there was even a commandant of the Marine Corps who in his retirement speech and later on as well in one of his books outlines uh, America's own imperialism and what he was used to do in reality, stuff he couldn't say when he was in the Marine Corps. Hmm. Well, like I've told you before, we all white people have the stink of colonialism on us. All of us. We're, you know, we still live in this system, right? And we don't know if it's ever going to change, if it can even change. I don't know. But the point is, is that it was, it's unacceptable that it took until 2020 to get that law repealed. Yeah. Yes. Because, you know, this just perpetuates the issue of, black people being continuously treated unfairly in the state of Louisiana. It's obvious to me that one of the reasons why they they set that jury law up in the fashion that they did was to make sure that 
if there's one or two fair-minded individuals who are white on that jury that they don't have the power right to uh, to influence the verdict exactly exactly and do you have any final thoughts I find it ironic that the Jim Crow era ended in 1968. And that's the same year that the the Federal Gun Control Act of 1968 was passed, which uh, was a replacement Jim Crow law, because that was the law that made it illegal for any felon whatsoever to own any firearms whatsoever. And they passed that knowing that it would be a majority of black felons who were deprived of firearms rights. And of course, this means didn't, didn't, this includes black felons who are who are convicted for, you know, marijuana possession. You know, right. And some petty stuff, you know. But was that law or the, the Gun Control Act also passed in response to Black Panthers? Yes, you, you're correct. Yeah. You're correct, of course. They, they wanted something Jim Crow to, to, they wanted part of the Jim Crow heritage, which is what gun control was part of, uh, to direct at the Black Panthers as well. So cool. so in the absence of Jim Crow laws, they needed a gun control act to criminalize as many black people as possible. Right. You see, and you had... Uh, and then it was shortly after that was Nixon's war on drugs, which of course further... Yes. Right. Uh, help help to put black people in jail. Yeah. The war on mm -hmm. drugs has been very instrumental in criminalizing many, many black people. So you put the Gun Control Act with the war on drugs together and you have federal legislation a, that could help convict more people and keep the tax revenues up. Yeah. And making matters even worse, the forfeiture laws. For law enforcement involved in the drug the drug war, which makes it all too mean, profitable. Do you mean like when they could take your property if you're convicted of drugs? Take take your money. Oh well, they'll they don't have to be convicted. They'll seize it before you're convicted, and then good luck getting it back after if mm. you're acquitted. Mm. Good luck on that one, especially with many many of these county sheriff's departments who've already spent the money they took from you, even if you're acquitted they probably also took your pills and your weed too oh yeah, yeah. and probably took took and kept any firearms you possessed as well Mm-hmm. so listeners that is a very brief history of jim crow laws jim crow jury law in louisiana that's only recently been repealed and in next week's episode, we are going to talk about one of those convictions that, in my opinion, deserves a retrial. But, of course, I don't have any say in the matter. So, might not get a retrial at all, but we can cross our fingers for this, right? Yeah. So, until next time, dear listeners, be safe, be kind, remember that we're all humans, and don't park next to vans. And if you're, uh, if you ever talk to the police and you are not a witness to a crime or a victim, 
be sure to lawyer up. And if it is dark, it's dangerous and you don't feel safe, don't be there in the first place.